Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. My name is Maria Tran. I'm a filmmaker, documentary artist, actor. I work between Australia and um, now currently in the US. I have a small film production company, Female Led, um, and we make a whole range of um, videos, films, um, artistic uh, endeavors and creative works for the world. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today, comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I've seen you all over town, and I've seen you all over the social medias, and I am um, very happy that there's somebody like you that's so active. Uh, you're a young woman that's active in the world of entertainment, so um, I am honored to have you on today. Awesome. Yeah, same here. I've actually been hearing a lot from about your podcast everywhere, all the way into Australia as well. So you're you're going global, which is fantastic. Thank you. You have a lot of wonderful Australians uh, in entertainment and the creative um, industry in Australia. I really look up to a lot of the people that are coming out of Australia. Mostly women, though. I, I, I don't think I've interviewed any Australian men other than Jin Hoi. Oh, yes, Jin Hai, he's awesome. Yes. Yeah. It's a very small collective and it's quite interesting you said that because, um, yeah, there's been a lot more women and I think it's because in Australia, I don't know if you have it in in America, but we have this thing called tall poppy syndrome. Um, yes. and, and I think, and on top of that, being Asian Vietnamese, <laughs> I think it's kind of made us women even more feistier. <laughs> to really speak out and to really show the world who we are and what we really want to do and, and to really instill questions like, you know, the question upon life and, and in internal reflection on the world. I feel like that's something that is an interesting trend in um, Australia. Mm. This tall poppy syndrome, I keep hearing about it all the time. Uh, I have an idea of what it is. Can you explain that to me? And also, can you explain to me, how it's affected you, whether it's negative or positively. Yeah. Tall poppy syndrome, it's like this 
this interesting Australian um, condition, or it sounds medical there, but it's not. It's, it's a mental thing, right, where, for example, they're, they're all about mateship. It's always about the collective experience. So, for example, when someone kind of goes beyond the collective I think people don't like that. People kind of tend to reprimand that and cut that down so that all the puppies kind of grow at the same height, um, similar to like crab mentality. So whenever the, a crab tries to claw out of a bucket, like it'll be pulled down by the other crabs. So it's, and for me, it's, it's, it's constant. I mean, and I, I talk about it in a lot of my works because it's like, I can't avoid it. I feel like in Australia, like, Everyone either kind of puts me in a box going, oh, she's a bit out there. She's a bit, you know, there's, there's all sorts of labels. You know, when you stand out, it's like, oh, she's, she's all, it's all about her. You know, it's always about, she's doing her own thing. She doesn't work as a team. And, 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 and in the mainstream, again, I get put in labels. Oh, no, no, but she's only, how can she do multiple things? Like she needs to just do one thing. She can't just like be a jack of all trades that's not fair when she's taking work from us like there's always something that I'm a threat <laughs> you know especially if you you have you're so like you love life you you want to do a lot um you find you know just life is always meandering in different circumstances that you just you know don't want to kind of be put in a box because when you do people will only go to you for that one thing but if you're able to be kind of like a Swiss army knife, then you just, you open the doors for so much more, so much more like fulfilling experiences in life. You know, how do you get past that tall poppy syndrome? Because I, it's definitely uh, in our Vietnamese uh, culture as well, but I can imagine having the Vietnamese culture have that negative effect on a lot of us. And then on top of that, having the Australian top poppy syndrome, how do you, how did you break free from this? Oh, it, it's, it's been quite difficult. <laughs> um, I've, I think for me, I've always not taken it personally. Um, I've been through so many, and I've always been through like the worst of the worst scenario. Like for example, like I was the vice president of the Vietnamese um, community in Australia. And at that time, I couldn't speak Vietnamese very well. And then people were like, oh, they're always like telling me off. Like each time I rock up to a place, they're always pointing their finger at me. It's the girl that doesn't speak Vietnamese. She doesn't understand us. And, and then I thought, wow, like I'm now this poster person for so much tension and trauma thrown at me. But I guess, you know, as an actor, like I always see tension and trauma and drama as a space for opportunity for dialogue. Yeah. So for me, like, I'm like, okay, I'll make your way back. Like, oh, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? And eventually I, I was able to, you know, connect with people on a heart to heart level because I kind of like give them a space to, to, you know, get all the angst. But then after all of that, there is something magical that people just really want to connect. People just really want to tell stories. And I've done various workshops with, um, the older generation, this is probably 15 years ago before I got into entertainment because I used to work in the community sector. That was my thing. I would run these workshops, make your way back or come. <laughs> oh. One, tell me off. Then two, tell talk about stories about growing up, what it was like to be a teen in Vietnam and all the, the naughty things kids get up to in Vietnam. And so I was able to sit there and listen and, and hear and question and, and collect these stories because I'm noticing there's a huge intergenerational gap. There are huge 
um, gap, whereas a lot of these stories are going, leaving this planet untold. Um, and a lot of us, next generation, we harbor attention that not knowing because the fact that we haven't spent the time to ask these questions to our parents, there's always this lingering anxiety of going, who am I? Because I didn't ask. Because as a culture, as a next generation, we've been trying to move away from that because that's the same generation, the older generation that gave us the tension in the first place. So it's quite an interesting dynamic. Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to admit, uh, I am a human being. And when I was seeing you all over social media and just beginning to see you about a year ago, uh, I was intimidated. I was very taken aback because I come from the old school of the previous generation, like in the late nineties in filmmaking and being around those directors. And who is this young girl? Who is, so this misogynistic mechanism mm -hmm. kicks in inside of me. And, uh, you know, I I've been told uh, through several people, Oh, you should bring Maria on the podcast. And so, you know, that kind of cracked the door open, but again, human tendencies. And I think the programming in Vietnamese culture for me, uh, it's still in there. And, and I, I say this as an example to the audience that's listening, that I have these programmatic problems that is lodged in my mind. Um, but the, the, the advantage I have is, you know, obviously several people coming to me and say, you need to get Maria on. And then the other side of it is a logic that is in my mind because of experience saying, oh, if Maria is working with all these people, obviously she's she's probably a good person to, to you know, she's probably a good person to her teams. And then we've met each other in, in, in person um, at my event and your warmth comes through. And then I'm like, okay, immediately, I put myself in check. And, and the re again, I tell this story because I want the world to know that, you know, many times uh, men uh, in mm -hmm. our culture harbors these jealousy, this envy, this uh, this hate for the young. I, I, I wouldn't go that far as to say oh, I was yeah. experiencing that. But definitely mm -hmm. these shadows of these traumatic sort of uh, voices uh, color the lens of how somebody like me would feel. And I'm just being very honest and candid with you. And, um, but thank God, like I said, I have experience to know that um, when I meet somebody in person and the warmth comes through, or sometimes the warmth doesn't come through. But yeah. the beauty is if we keep this idea of unconditional welcome in our mm -hmm. community, um, and this is something that I'm building into my framework as I'm traversing the Vietnamese community is we need to have unconditional welcome for all the generations, for all the genders, for everybody that is Vietnamese working in the creative space. So I just wanted to to let you know that that's how this I This is amazing because like I think for me when I first met you, I'm like, who is this guy? Where did he come from? The same thing, right? And then now after talking to you, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, like just hearing you just even just in that moment say that, I'm like, wow. This is what is the forefront for Vietnamese men, you know what I mean? Because I haven't heard this before, like coming from anyone really, because there's no, there's not been a lot of conversations that in honesty and, and the way you presented it, it was just so clear that it is a representation that is often harbored, harbored by a lot of men that probably have these things, but they're not coming to terms with it. At least you can go, okay, you know what, I've got these things. 
here they are and now this is what that that experience has now made me understand where people come from and that's why it's, it's so important that we're human if we're not human we're not connected to the work that we're supposed to be doing anyway so yeah i love yeah. it <laughs> It's terrifying to confront these feelings, you know, um, and, and and I think the precursor to all of that is like maybe two years ago, I was called out on misogyny uh, in my internal circles would call me out like, why do you have only men on the podcast? And then I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. So it starts there. And then, mm -hmm. you know, and then I have to make an effort to to bring on more female voices and artists. And and then, you know, as you go through this journey, you're like, well, you got to check yourself constantly about uh, this misogyny that's programmed inside of our culture. So I am so grateful to have you be so warm uh, when we met. And, and you know, I was like, oh my God, how could I have come to the table with this emotions in the last year about, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure that this is being carried up in my mind with a lot of um uh, even young men that are are successful, you know, because, you know, as we get older, we, we get threatened as, as a Vietnamese man. I mean, I'm just saying for myself. And then you have a, a successful Vietnamese young woman. You know, these are all very threatening things. But instead of being threatened by it, um, we we as as men and, and the culture of, of where we come from, we need to call it out and we need to uh, examine how we feel about this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I think when we bring it internally and then we really figure out what's going on, there is so much worth of that, you know, like even once you process that, you're, oh, wow, this is where, where, what I thought. And that's actually a snippet of how people think, this is how I'm going to transmute it. This is how I'm going to break that chain. Actually, I want to do something that I might be uncomfortable, but then through that process, learn something completely new. And that's, I feel like that is why you're in the position you're in. And not everyone is because you're the forefront. You're the one that probably will be making a lot more mistakes because you are the forefront paving the way for other men, um, young or old, to go, actually, he's honest. Yeah, we can be too. Why are we so afraid? Well, why do we always need to be so macho and be the breadwinner? We, we can F up. We can, you know, be honest about how we feel. That's just so liberating to hear, Kenneth. Seriously, it's I haven't heard this from actually any Vietnamese person, <laughs> males, actually, a lot of times there's a lot of bravado. Yes. Um, but for you, you speak from the heart, which is, which is captivating. I'm sure for audiences Thank too. You, Maria. It's ingrained. It's mm. ingrained in, 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 in our generations, you know, um, you know, and my father was very advanced in the way he looked at uh, gender roles and he was very, uh, just a cool artist, but even when I look back on his life and the way he thought about things, yeah. there were still subtleties that, you know, um, that I noticed about how I'm programmed, you know, yeah. and I have uncles who are very macho. And, you know, so all of these things need to be examined. Uh, and there's a place for men. There's a place for women. There's a place for older people and younger people. But at the same time, I think that this unconditional welcome uh, needs to start to take shape today uh, in our in our world. I think once we start to remove the labels, there's more freedom and yeah. liberation to creatively explore what we want to do, what we want to see the world. Because I think a lot of times we live in that this reactivity that we have to stick in certain boxes or identity, or as we get we we define ourselves through age. And for me, like I'm I'm getting onto my forties, right and Prior what? to that, 
I thought you were like 25. I swear to God. No, no. I'm, I'm like a couple of years to 40. So oh, and wow. it's really interesting because I look back and like I've had evolutions, like there's points. And I've noticed what usually really um like stops me from tapping into my own inner freedom is the fear. Whenever we have we we give into the fear of what the external forces are putting on us and we go with that that's when we get further and further away in who we are and and it's interesting because you speak to people you can hear it when you, you i always listen to people i put them into two categories are they speaking from love or fear and you can feel it you can hear it and then but but at the same time if you know they're coming from fear you understand humans so you know you, you have compassion you understand that you know what they're going through this fear because majority of us are going through the fear but it does take one person to to inspire more people to now see life outside of that fear and to be able to create. So for me, I'm not a trained actor, um, a trained filmmaker, um, trained anything. I've only done psychology as my degree, worked a lot in the community arts sector, worked with men um, in prisons, uh, in juvenile centres, like all that stuff. And working with lots of people, it allowed me to realize that my own identity is nothing. You know, there's no, I should not place so much value on my identity. I should be fluid because when you're fluid, you can then be able to like pick up things quickly and then be able to try them. So for me, acting was something that I tried and then I had a, some success. Same with filmmaking, with the directing. Some people go, oh, you haven't come from film school. How do you know how to how to make stuff. I'm like, I started out with a camera. I look through the lens. I look at the frame and I go, what do I feel? What mm. does my heart feel? What do I want to capture? Why do I want to capture it? If other people saw what I see, how is that going to make me feel? So mm. always, I always have this thing where you like spiritually, you are connected to your modality of who you are. But of course I'm human. Sometimes there's days where I'm like, <laughs> this is tough. Yeah. This is tough being human. <laughs> yeah. It, and it is, you know, before we go on, I want to really shout out uh, some uh, Australian women, Vietnamese women that have come on the show that I really um, am impressed. And I really look up to these voices. Uh, Pauline Wynn. Yes. Somebody yeah, I, good I really friend of her. Yep. Um, I've, I've taken her course and, you know, she's a, a force to be reckoned with uh, in the a food space and in the transformative space, um, there's Sheila Ngapham, which uh, mm. she's been on the show a few times and she writes for different uh, publications like The Guardian. There's Vivian Pham. She's uh, a young um, yes. author. Uh, Tracy Lin is another young author. Um, so these women have been a force uh, in Australia. But again, other than Jin Hoi, there's no men that are coming out uh, that, you know, there is, but there, there might, I, this is what I'm feeling. Okay. Like there is, but there's a sense of, because sometimes they feel like, ah, oh, like I've got like um, a good uh, actor friend of mine um, who's in a big Disney plus uh, show and he has troubles like putting himself out there. He's like, oh, no, no, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And I'm like, why, why, why not? Or or he just, like, I feel like for men, there's, there's something. I'm not sure why, but it's it'll be interesting to explore. Like, what what is that thing that stops Poppy them? syndrome from Australia in men yeah. probably goes mm. hard. Probably, yeah. yeah. So yeah. How, did, how did you get 
interested in being in the business of entertainment? I, you know what, growing up as it, like for me, you know, watching TV, a very common story, right? People watch TV, you don't see who you identify with. You watch a lot of Hong Kong cinema. That's why I love action stuff. And you go, oh my gosh, there's people I can see. And they're doing cool shit, right? They're fighting the bad guys. They're taking down the system. I love that narrative because I was growing up being this kid always bullied. That was the narrative that was my escapism, you know? And I think for me, I got into it. It, to be honest, it was just through short films, making short films. Someone put an ad in the newspaper going, we're making a film, we need people. And then I kind of replied to that. And that was one small project, but it kept on snowballing, you know. And I noticed what I loved about the filmmaking and making stuff is that, first off, you can be a loser on the outside. And I remember this very clearly. I'm a loser, but on film, I'm freaking badass. I always remember that, right, because I'm like, oh, my God. And people think that I'm cool, but outside I'm a person who couldn't even find friends. I might be the only Asian in school, but on film, I, I felt when we made these short films and we showed it to our friends and family, we were like the superheroes, you know, in our own communities. And not only that, I remembered with these films that we made, Kung Fu films, we brought people together. You know, people come on the weekends after their nine to five job and they'll chip in their hours to make a Kung Fu film. And that was the thing, you know, you work nine to five during the week, but on the weekends you make this baby project and after four years you finish a feature film. And the power of making a film was 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 immense for the Vietnamese community, for an Asian diaspora 15 years ago. But unfortunately I remembered when we, we gave the films to different critics at that time, people were like, oh, this is a Fantasia Australia. Uh, we haven't seen, this looks like it's from Hong Kong or China. And I remembered, like, people just didn't believe that there was that much Asians in Australia because the whole film was casted by Asians, you know. This is like a film we made Maxim Chopic, right, 15 years ago. And I just thought to myself, oh, man, this is this is the reality. We've made something that's ahead, ahead of its time. And unfortunately, like, with the group that I was with, we kind of disbanded. But I realised i got to keep going. So from 15 years ago to now, I kept on drumming it. I kept on making short films, short films, short, short films, documentaries, work with communities, make a feature film, save up money, bring people together, make a feature film, you know, do more training because I noticed that I can't, because we're doing low budget, we don't have the money to, you know, get people. So we train people up so that they can fit the role of actor or whatever role in the, the film process is and then we make a film. So that's the system that I've been kind of like working wow. on. Yeah. And how did you get from Australia to the U.S.? Because uh, it, it, it seems like it was like overnight to me, like all of a sudden <laughs> I see you around and, oh, wow, you're all the you're always in L.A. and you're always popped yeah. up in, in California. It's called the Diversity Visa Lottery. So I applied for that and I got that um, during COVID. And I remember at that time, I thought it was a scam. I was like, oh. It says congratulations, you've got this 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 lottery thing where you can go to America and live there and work there and be a resident. And and it's not. It's actually a real thing. So I, I was one out of I think you I think every year they choose like fifty thousand people worldwide to get a free like a, a green card. And I basically got that. So I processed it and then based in Vegas because all my cousins are out here. So yeah. That is insane. I know it is pretty crazy. Yeah. 
like you applied one time and you got it. Yeah. 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 And there's like 12 digits. And at the end of the digit is seven, seven, seven. So I'm like, Hey, wait a minute. This is some cool, there's some cool thing here. I think I need to be in America. And I'll be honest with you. I, I was quite worried. Cause I'm like, I'm leaving everything. I'm coming to America with two suitcases with film gear and just the clothes on my back and starting a new. That's it. I, I don't, I'm, yeah. And how long ago was that? That was probably two years ago. And then I stayed for five months. I did my first like corporate uh, gig with VinFast. Thank God for them because otherwise I probably don't know what I was going to do. That really gave me the confidence to go, yes, I can build something. So I built my small film company out in Vegas. And then after that, I landed um, the Paramount series, um, Last King of the Cross. And they flew me back to Australia for 10 months. And I was on that big landmark show. Oh, Hmm. wow. So those two things really allowed you to settle in. Oh, yeah. I think those two things would probably really kind of, in a way, put me on the map a bit because prior to that, I was just this person doing lots of things. And I was always seen as, oh, she's the community person, like the person who wants to make it. You know, like Mm -hmm. you try. Sometimes I feel like, you know, Vietnamese community, if you try, you look like you're trying. It's not good. You need to make it look like it just... You were born with it. <laughs> you know, I'm talking like that, you know? And, we're and both I, laughing because we know it's true. You know, we can you know? feel that. Yeah. So, so you know, once that happened, like, but at the same time, once that all happened, I was like, no, 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 wait a minute. I don't want people to think that, you know, oh, you just have to wait for opportunities. It doesn't happen. Even though these opportunities came up, you still got to keep on, you know, hustle, meet people, um, inspire, create. You know, I mean, but, that, but let's yeah. bring in everything into reality here. VinFast and the Paramount, Paramount right? Mm. Those two projects cannot have, have happened if there wasn't a backlog oh. of education, you know, real hand, real world uh, on the job training for the last 10 years prior to that. So let's, let's not like the, yeah. I, I don't want the audience to like get any misconceptions. You just, <laughs> You win the lottery, you come here, and then you get this VinFast gig, and then you get the Paramount. That, <laughs> yeah. that does not happen. This is like, yeah, it, it's a 10-year overnight success that is what they call it. Yeah, yeah, that, right? that's I mean, true. Yeah, There's no way that VinFast is going to hire somebody or Paramount's going to hire somebody who doesn't have like this extensive knowledge about carrying a role or doing what they uh, are supposed to do without uh, a heavy amount of um, cachet behind their experience. Yeah, you're right about that. Um, but I have to admit, for me, living in my body, I have this thing I have to battle constantly called imposter syndrome, which is there's moments where I'm like, really? Like, me? Oh, oh no, no. Like, and I, it's a constant thing. I feel like sometimes when you have a creative ability, but there's also this other weakness, like my, my kryptonite is that. So that would kick in. And I feel like, that is probably stuff that that's an internal mechanism that along the way has kind of like every now and then tripped me up a bit, but at the same time it keeps me grounded. So it's kind of this weird thing that I have. Yeah. I, 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 I notice that a lot with the guests uh, that come on and, you know, I experience that and, but, I, but, I, but I'm beginning to kind of resolve that, um, that formula. I think what it is, is for people who are sort of highly in tune with their, uh, in inner workings, their their mental uh, creativity, they understand that 
you have to critically look at the things that you put out. And I think that that imposter syndrome comes along with the package of uh, this very, um, we, we, we are very precise about what we're not doing right. So it translates to this like, oh my God, we're not perfect. We, you know, we have all these things, but at, but at the same time, we know that quality levels here and just to us, we don't think that we're here yet, but mm. you know, that keeps going. And I think after a few years and decades or whatever, you get to the point where it becomes like this, um, this appendage, this thing that comes along with who we are and we're able to not let the imposter syndrome voice affect us. But I think if you didn't have that, mm. I would be really suspicious of you. <laughs> you know, anybody who doesn't have that, you mm. know, is thinking that they're doing the right thing all along. Mm. Good question. Yeah. Good and it's yeah. Uh, so I see that all of the best artists have that in the first um part yeah. of their careers because without I feel it like, yeah i deal with it i'm, I'm imagining it, it's as like a character within i'd be yes. like oh it's it's another character oh it's my annoying uncle coming to telling me that i'm not good enough okay uncle stop it you know yeah. like like i feel like for me like because i'm an actor that's how i i deal with it so that i know that i can it's like a united nations they come together and we talk about a situation yeah. certain people are posing conflict and then after that once I'm done with that process, then I can kind of like let it go. But if I don't do that, it eats me. Like it does. It would just be like, da, 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 yeah. and then I'm not like, okay, wait, what's going on? You know? So yeah, I would question you if you didn't have that, you know, if you mm -hmm. didn't talk about that, I'd be like, Hmm, a, little <laughs> bit, uh, a bit too confident here, but yeah, just to have that is like, Oh my God. Okay. She's in the class of, of, of somebody who is, um, reflecting introspectively about the work that they do. And that's very, very important because that mechanism really puts us in check. And I think it's important to keep it in a healthy perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So cool, Kenneth. Oh my gosh. We're like, <laughs> we're going off topic on the podcast. We're going deep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's the point of it, right? It's really to get to know you, the world to get to know you and, you know, having these records of hearing about somebody's development and inner voice um, on these long form um, platforms is, I think, vital to the world understanding our work. That's true. Yeah, well, I think without it, um, for me, I, I I don't get to see the depth of, of mm -hmm. artists because sometimes you just see people on screen and you don't really know or you read about their work and, and their writing and stuff. But you know, being able to like veer off topic is, is I think, key to, to conversation. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Especially for our like Vietnamese community. I feel like we haven't had enough of those conversations. And when it when we do, I think it's not just only for us. Like even though this is a, a moment for us to converse, but it's our audiences benefit so much more because they're kind of being able to also, there's a safe space for them to explore that without having to put them in the forefront and experiencing the tension we are because we're we know that we can deal with it yeah now mm -hmm. this is for everybody around the world that lives outside of um la or or the entertainment uh center here in southern california what can you say is different or what have you 
picked up on that's different from Australia or in your mind, it surprised you when you arrived here and you started working here more regularly? Oh, I love the can-do attitude. And I love how everyone, like the everyone is quite passionate about what they do and they work individually but also they come together and even though they have their differences but they still work towards a common cause I think that's so profound like when I was at the VIF um, event I was like what like for me I was so mind-blowing I was like does this even exist? Like in my head, I think my whole entire life, I've never been to an event. I've like heard this. that before. Yeah. You know, coming from a, like Australia, most of our events are very, mm, yeah, this is an event. But this was like, dude, yeah, we are here. You know, we are cool. We love it. You know, it, it, this, the, the energy is just so, so kinetic. And I feel like seeing that, it just makes me more excited about just future collaborations or the future direction on where we're all going. Um, and I feel like, and it's interesting, sometimes in Australia, people go, oh, the Americans, American Vietnamese, like they always go, oh, they always want to be out there doing, like, it's like, but why not? I, I, I think of them like, how come they're enjoying expressing themselves and, and, and be able to take risks on different creative endeavor, endeavors, whereas you might be sitting there going, mm, I don't like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And just point fingers at, but they're not doing anything. So it's like, who's actually in the upper hand, you know, yeah, the one that's bold. It's such a different culture here, right? Hmm. That, uh, that comfort of uh, many artists out here, but, but a lot of artists are from different parts of the world that come here and then they slowly sort of pick up this culture of like, you know, why not? Why not <laughs> uh, put this... Uh, energy on blast and let the world know that we're here and now and we need to change that throughout the world and yeah. it's you know it's interesting to hear that from you um coming from australia yeah yeah because for me when i looked at you i'm like oh who is he what background he's doing a podcast like was he in the media people like in australia there's always like oh you need to go through the system and then eventually you have your own thing and then and then but then in america it's like no if you've got the tenacity you've got the curiosity you've got the time and resource and the energy you do it you don't need to wait for permission and that's what i love about you know in the states we have that energy here yeah yeah it's such a true thing but but that's a result of i think people coming from all over the world coming here and then they adopt that sort of can-do attitude because they feel liberated here to be who they are and work in the space that they want to work in Mm -hmm. Exactly. So let me ask you, what defines a good story for you? What makes you go, I'm going to get on this project when you're reading a script or a short uh, film? What are the things, what are the signs that go, you know, I am drawn to this project? Mm -hmm. Oh, there's, there's many, but um, I always go, whoever's coming to me, and, and just really having a conversation with them and going, this story that they want to tell, what does it mean to them? But then on a multiple, I can see it like an onion, on the multiple many levels, what does that story mean for the rest of us? And then on a global scale. Uh, and, and I always, and they might not even know. Like a lot of times people come to me, they have an idea and they might not even know 
the power of the story because I'm sitting there looking at the story from multiple angles all the way to the global and then realize, whoa, we're hitting something massive here because it's never been done before. And I think for me, sorry, my light just turned off. I'll just, I'll just go and turn on the backup light. Just give me a second. DIY. And, and I think that's, for me, that's when I realized that certain stories should be out there especially if it hasn't been done before and the fact that it will create some sort of movement for the good for a community. Um, and, and it could be different genres as well. Like some people might, because a lot of people, they look at my work and they go, oh, sometimes you do some chop socky comedy. Sometimes you do the act, a schlocky action. Why? Why don't you just do a drama? Like an Oscar might, well, when the time comes, I will. But in the moment, if there's a congregation of people who are willing to come together to make something because they believe the fact that they want to be seen, that they're not Chinese, they're not from Hong Kong cinema, they're from another Western country, but also doing cool shit, why not? Yeah. You know, and 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 that's why I come on to projects. And and I have to admit, sometimes people kind of do put me in boxes. They think because of, of my exterior of what, what I do is, I'm a beefcake. Yeah, she does action. Yeah, she's a beefcake, beefcake white guy, you know, kind of stuff. No, I'm not. I'm actually quite intuitive and I actually love humans. I, I'm very facilitative. Um, it's just, that's just what I think mainstream had seemed to be quite intrigued by me. Um, and even in Australia, I don't know how many shows I've done where I do the accent so well that I keep on getting shows where I keep on doing the accent, the Vietnamese accent. I mean, comedies, dramas, the whole lot, right? And there's a part of me going, oh, maybe you should stop. But then I'm like, well, there's a part of me going, okay. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I can stop or I can transmute. If there is a demand for what you can do and you do it well, you do it well, but you then use that ability to then put it into something that you're super passionate about and you drive that to the end. So that's how I, I do projects. And it, projects come to me in all shapes and sizes. Sometimes I, I can't dictate it. Sometimes a kid will come up to me and go, hey, I want to make a film. And then I can't say no because I know this film that this person will make 
will mean so much more because it's never been done before or something like that. Or this person's not running out of time. A whole bunch of things um, that go into me making a decision. Yeah. What One of the biggest uh, hurdles in filmmaking is financing. And it seems that you just constantly are cranking out projects. How do you get over that hurdle? Doing things very cheaply. I am the, I would say globally, I'm like the, the sweatshop of indie filmmaking, like super sweatshop. Like, and the reason why is like, can you imagine like you're, you're making an action film for like the reason when I made $8,000, right? 90 minutes action and 90 minutes. So there's like a full on cast and you're directing, you're acting, you're editing and you're doing the action. So my, on my brain is like, like overdrive and then you can't even like for me i'm like okay i can't do things over three takes i've got to make sure my actors are prepped up for one take only because we're running out like i'm also sometimes ading my set all my crew know how i work and they know how to double up on roles so so when we work as a team it's a small team but it's a very efficient team um and i do lots of those types of projects in australia i would say i don't have a very good reputation because I've had producers who said, oh, but you're <clears throat> killing our industry. And I'm like, well, you're not giving us the opportunity to participate to get the full rates you get. And we can't sit here and wait to tell our stories. So what do we do? we got to do it the way we do it, the Vietnamese way. Yeah. <laughs> Lung, you know? Lung, and, yeah. it. and not not like, they go, oh, but you didn't come from film school or acting school. I'm like, I know, hey. And I teach at your film school and I'm on a freaking big show. How is that? How did that happen? Oh, oopsie, you know. So sometimes I feel like, you know, there's always constantly challenges of going, like playing the whole, oh, uh, the the subservient, nice Vietnamese. But then at times where people are like crossing the line, I'm like, hey, hey, you can't say that because the work that I'm doing it's not only me, there's a team of us and we're doing what we're doing because we don't have any other choice. Yeah. When a community does not have a choice, we will do everything to find ways to see ourselves on screen, to make B-grade videos, movies for our friends and family to see, to to book out little theatres, to show it, to put up on like a, a, a freaking like a bed sheet just to even screen it, whatever it takes because we need to see ourselves on projected somewhere because that's the new reality we want to see. So, yeah, that that's an amazing uh, explanation, because, you know, if we don't give ourselves the opportunity, who is? No one will. That's it. No. I mean, it's and it's and it's tough, but keeping the budget low and doing it the way you do. I I really do hope, though, that the stories and the, the production quality, all of that eventually increases in time where mainstream productions will know that, you know, based on your track record of, of practicing and doing that the opportunity to put money into these productions will, will I, blossom. I, I'll be honest with you. I, I wouldn't bank on that. I've mm -hmm. been on productions where um, like been on certain mainstream productions, which I won't name, which I've had really bad experiences and I've called them out and I've been labeled as difficult not working, like people won't work with me because the fact that I won't shut up. <laughs> I won't be like the subservient Vietnamese saying yes to everything. When there's certain elements that look racist or not right, I would say it. And and hence um, the industry won't want to support communities to tell their stories because 
they probably will tell it well and they probably wouldn't need the mainstream because we understand how to do things once we have the skills. And and I think what could happen is that maybe the fact that we create a new industry where it's not just reliant on the system, but then maybe businesses, companies can make stories, can make films without having to rely on the system. And I think that's that's the only way that I can see it. So even after my first, my indie action film that I've done, um, after that, it's interesting because some people are like, oh, it's great, but you need to now wait for a quarter million dollars to make a film. Like, it ain't going to happen. The next yeah. one, I want you to shoot two back-to-back 100K. And if I can't find the 100K, I'll figure out how to make 100K to put it in my film to make it. That's the only way. Because wow. if I sit there and wait, it will not happen. It will, and, and the thing is, you know, as a Vietnamese person, I feel like like innately we have like a courage, like a kind of really gutsy thing about us that if that that I feel like sometimes it comes out, I'm like, you know what? If no one's gonna do it, I'm gonna do I'm gonna lead from the front first and people will follow and they will push something with me. That's how it is. Not wait for someone to look forward to to then back something up. You know, so so that's been me and that's been my whole career. And and it is tough, I have to admit, but I've now learned to accept that there is no other way except the way that I see it. And if there are other people out there who give better ideas, input, resources, let's collaborate. That's how it is. Collaboration is key because I'm only one person. But yeah. other people come in with, with great ideas. Some people come in, hey, Maria, what about this? I'm like, wow. Or someone will come in and go, hey, uh, there's this company that wants to put money in. Can you make this happen? But can you put some product placement in? I'm like, okay, let's talk to the writer. Can you put that in? And we just work together like, like working bees and we put it in. We make sure everyone's happy when it comes to making something on a low budget scale. I mean, to be honest, it's not going to be at the moment, it's not going to be to the point where people be like, oh my gosh, it's going to be Oscar fodder. It's not going to be that point because we don't have the resources. And that's just the way it is. It's the same thing that's happening in Wok Hollywood. Um, a filmmaker out there, he's making movies on $250. A whole community comes together. They donate bits of steel to build rigs and stuff for them to make really cheap, schlocky, green screen action films in freaking Nollywood. But it's changing the, the whole industry because now Africans can see themselves on screen to make their own films. So, you know, you know what I mean? The cultural value of that is much more higher than the product, even though the product looks terrible, right? Especially from a privileged eye. If you're sitting there watching lots of films, you'd be like, oh, that's terrible. But culturally, yeah. it's shifting a community. And that's the work that I love to do. Wow, you have a vision. And I I really applaud the 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 can-do attitude of what you're doing. Have you ever uh thought about going to Vietnam to make films? And what is what is that uh the future of that look like? I went to Vietnam to make a film with uh Jung Ob An on Tracer. Um and that's been a very interesting experience for me because I realized that there's a lot of potential over there. But because for me, when I, I make films, it's very facilitative. I hate the hierarchy. I hate the fact that there's certain people that are seen as gods on film sets and are not questioned. I hate, I, I really I just like, I feel that like that's not right because so many issues can, can come from that, right? When someone, 
are left unquestioned. So through that process, I realized in Vietnam, there's it's very systematic. It's very hierarchy. Um, and, and even as a woman, I remembered I was coordinating a workshop on fight action choreography. And even then I was given, I was challenged. I was asked, oh, who are you? Uh, why should I listen to you? Like there's always that stuff that I'm constantly faced in a lot of the work that I do. Um, more so in Vietnam, but at the same time, like realizing there is censorship over there's a lot of things. Um, even though I wrote a screenplay called uh, The Legends of Medellin, which um, has now been taken and remade into something else. Um, and there's just a lot of barriers. And I felt to myself, I think I want to go back to like, you know, Australia or the US to make works in that space because there's more liberation for creative thinking and for truth and honesty. So, for example, if the script's bad, you can go, that's a bad script. But if yeah. it's, you know, Vietnam, if the script's bad, no one is going to say anything because then you're going to get fired. Yeah. And I couldn't understand that. I remember I was asking the question, why are these things not right? And people just would not say anything because they were so fearful that they're going to lose their job. And I don't think that's a great space to always for us to work in. Yeah. Well, we have this thing called honorifics. We have a hierarchy that's built into our language. Chú, bác, cô, con, cháu. So the honorifics create this hierarchy on a deep, 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 deep level. And it's hard to break free of the respect, quote unquote, in our language. Do we? And, and if it's appearing just on the basic level of, of addressing each other, can you imagine all of the nuances that are taking shape in the way we deal with bureaucrats or we deal with uh, our elders or people younger than us? We we think hong uh, and makyai and these things are a hindrance to the creative community. Mm-hmm. And 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 when can we get rid of that? You know, I have an example of um of, of a funny story I I like to 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 talk about Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called Outliers. And in Outliers, one of the chapters was dedicated on this description of like in the 90s, uh, Korean airlines kept having airline pilots uh, crash into mountains or accidents. And they couldn't figure it out. This is the early 90s. They couldn't figure out why Korean airline pilots were like, you know, their ratios is like, you know, the crashing or any problems are very, very low in, you know, in, in American uh, 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 airplanes. So they had to go back and research the black boxes that came out of these crashes. And what they realized is the split second that things needed to be communicated and how they're being communicated is a problem in Korean language. So it's sort of similar to how we have our honorifics. Um, we are terrified to tell our captain or our leader a certain thing. And so when you're approaching a mountain and you have a split second to tell your captain, uh, sir, we're heading into a mountain in 500 yards. Um, so Korean airline pilots were having a problem telling their um, their their uppers, their, their captains in the cockpit that we have a problem. And that would create these fatalities. So what they did was they retrained all the Korean airline pilots to speak in English, to remove that layer of honorifics that was happening in the cockpit that created so much of the accidents that were happening. So that's sort of like 
it's a ba very basic watered down generality that I think that happens, but it's it's really ingrained in the Asian culture, especially Confucian culture coming out of China, coming out of Vietnam. These things exist. And I think we have to, sometimes we have to kind of address that and figure out a way that, you know, can we work in the framework of respect and then challenge? Or is it like all no game? I don't know. Mm. I, I, and then also on top of that, there is this thing where I've noticed that I'm making a generalization again, but Asians in emotions, you know, like Asians in emotions, Asians in expression of emotion. Like I feel like anything that is like difficult in emotions, such as the the heavy, the negative stuff, they don't want to express that. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's bleed into the film industry, whereas I've, I've, I've heard a lot of producers go, oh, you know, Asians can't, can't really emote. Like there's been a lot of times that Asians can't uh, emote, Asians aren't as, there's not a bankable Asian actor because of the being able to emote. But at the same time, there are not a lot of, lot of roles written for Asians that they can emote. There's a lot of layers to that, you know what I mean? Um, that I just find that quite interesting that emotions, being able to handle difficult situations and expressing it and understanding how to process and reflect it in the moment is probably this big gap that maybe as a culture asians culture we need to have more space to emote to yeah but now e emoting emotionally is that a more western thing you think i'm just i'm wondering because if you look at like a lot of hong kong films and stuff like yeah. that it's very stoic there's not yes. a lot of dialogue when it comes to emoting um but you can feel the emotions as the director is telling you to feel something based on the way he sets up a shot or a scene but mm -hmm. there's not a whole lot of emoting from the actors i feel no 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 well and that's wrong? it's 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 quite interesting because like as I was researching on just how um, acting curriculums have been developed and um, even in Australia because I, I also have a, a small little acting sort of practice that I do for a lot of people and even realizing that yes you're right westerns have a very outer emotional explosive expression of who they are whereas Asians were much more subtle than that but at the same time like. If we're looking in the creative space, why can't we flip that? Why can't we have space where we flip that, where we play in that space? Um, That's a great question. I, you I, know, because because we we think that, oh, a lot of Asians is very internal, very in, so internal that you can't see sometimes on camera, according to Western people, right? But what if it was flipped? And what if it was flipped and then flipped back again? And I think that's why the moment that we're put in a box. That becomes dangerous <laughs> because sure. then people are like, ah, you know, they can't do this because of this. Oh, shit, they just did it. Oh, who are they? We don't know, but they're obviously very skilled. We should work with them. You know, that's usually the trajectory how I see it as. Um, same thing when I was um, doing a show for Paramount. Like, prior to that, people were like, oh, she can't do drama. She's just action. She's just an action person. She hasn't trained. She can't do it. I got the, I got it. And it's a, quite a dramatic role. And they're like, Everyone's like, what? What's going on? We just got to keep smashing down these barriers. In, in in terms of training, do you still take acting classes? Do you still never no. take an oh, acting? You've never done that. I teach it, but I don't take it now. 
Got it. So how do you keep sharp and how do you get your notes and how do you get to keep improving? I think as a director, that really helped because whenever I direct other people, I can feel it. Like, I don't know what it is. Sometimes when, you know, how when you meet people and you connect with them, you can just feel the flow. Like, like when things are working out, you can feel the energy just go through them. And then I think as a director, I then figure out how to manipulate that. Like, so when I direct people, I can then figure out how to give them the visuals and help stop their emotional flow or whatever it is to create that tension. Because sometimes in a moment, in a split second or whatever, I need them to switch and then get into gear with a certain like emotions. But then I I can't just sit there and go, "Mm, just give me something else. Give me something else. Which is a lot of directors. Just show me what you got and I'll pick and choose. I feel like for me as a director, I'm, I'm, I'm with them. Like I'm watching them. I'm with them. And for me, like a lot of times I, through your gaze and through the breath is when I know if they're starting to get into that character or when they're not, mm. it's quite fascinating. I've seen so many. And, and even though I teach it, I'll be honest with you. I only teach it because when I teach people, they're my experiments. I want to see if they can work. And my, my thing theory is that I can make people who are not going through acting school do really well and get roles. And that's that's been a lot of the people I've worked with and I've got them results, which in turn makes me go, actually, there is something that I've got that is not in the mainstream Western curricula. And you're right, it is coming, looking into Eastern ways of emotions as well, which is more internal. Internal is breath, breath and gaze. is very subtle, but that is usually the fundamental. And everything else is Western, you know, movement and screaming, all that stuff, right? But I think that is what I, I work with. And I've only derived that through lots of reflection yeah. and observation of humans, like near cats, you know, David Atterberg, you know, looking at the animals and what mm-hmm. they're doing and seeing the patterns and then figure out, oh, there's a pattern now. That's how do I figure this pattern and work it within the framework or what, what I do. Hmm. Oh, it's very keen observations. Now, I um, I think I've, I've read and, and seen that you work with Jackie Chan at one point. Yeah. Can you tell me about that experience? Oh, my gosh, Jackie. I'll be honest with you. I started this whole crazy idea of, of like quest for Jackie, like I would say probably 10 years ago. Cause after I made my 15, 15 years ago, I made a feature film and then I realized it just didn't make any difference in Australia. And then I remember talking to someone, someone like, why don't you go find Jackie? Like, you know, if you, you meet Jackie, think everything will be solved. And I was like, <clears throat> having this conversation with this person who's telling me to go find Jackie Chan. He's not my uncle. Like not all Asians are related, but for some reason there was a point when she said, she said, I'm like, I fought it. I'm like, that's just a ridiculous notion. But then I'm like, in my head, it's like, you know, when you get a light bulb moment, you're like, what if, what if you made up an idea that you're on this documentary process of trying to find Jackie Chan through your six degrees of separation, right? Mm-hmm. So then I end up making up a series of videos and chucked it on YouTube of me trying to find Jackie Chan and blah, 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 you know? I'll be honest, I never thought I was going to meet him. I just made it and put it out there. I traveled around Australia, met a lot of people who worked with Jackie Chan, interviewed them. And I think it was like years down the track when he was making a film in Australia um, I remember the there's a, a company called uh, Screen New South Wales. They contacted me saying that Jackie would like to invite you to work on this production because they've heard about this project you've been doing for years. 
and I have to admit, I was so scared shitless. I was like, I made this project, but I didn't expect that I was going to meet him. I made it for a reason to show the fact that, you know, creative expression kind of thing, you know, but then I end up working with him and I have to admit, it was a bit of a surreal experience and, and like, like to see Jackie, but actually to see how he worked made me really gave me more insight on how I should work as well. And when I saw him work on set, I saw the team that he's built. Some of the people that he brought to Australia, like one of his writers, he would have been in his 80s or 90s. And he's not even writing the project, but he still brought him along. And I'm like, holy crap, why did you bring this guy who's written your films many, many moons ago? Oh, because he's like family. You bring your family who's like a film production set along with you along the way. And I can just see how when we're eating dinner, because he invited me to certain like gatherings, like his family gatherings and we're eating. He's always giving, sharing. He's always very innovative. He's always thinking how to solve problems. And I was watching him every step of the way. And when he went to Canberra, he invited me to come along to film it, document it with my candy cam. And like I was watching him you know, go into his house and like opening it up for the first time for very long because he used to live in Australia. And I remember filming him and, and asking, I remember Jackie was quite emotional and I was scared. I was got the camera underneath him filming. And I said, Jackie, what do you see? Like, I was so scared, right? And I remember he's like, I see them there. And he was talking about his family, his parents, and then it got me to think, wow, Jackie Chan, mega, the most recognizable Asian face in the world. Yet there is this thing that he is probably missing is those moments where he shared with his parents. It got me. It really got me because I'm like, wow, even if for someone like him, but the, 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 the connection with family is still such a big thing and that, that there's still a longingness for that. So it just, yeah, it really got me to really reflect on on who I am. And, yeah, we had some really interesting moments and stuff like that. But that was probably um, a very it, – it drove me to start looking in towards my family. So from that project or from that work that I did, a lot of my projects now have themes of family within it um, because I realise it's such a global thing that a lot of times when we – go and we try to build things and we try to be the best at what we do you know we we forgo certain aspects of us that maybe might not be there when we turn around and look for them yeah yeah i didn't want to simplify that story or that question with jackie chan because i think you know people in the media meet wonderful people all the time and in high profiles but i don't know why that when i saw that post or read up on that with Jackie Chan, it felt like a very significant part of your life because um, the journey to getting to Jackie, well, now now that I've learned the story, the the significance of the journey to get to Mm -hmm. Jackie Chan and to be around uh, him is a story in itself. And a lesson, I think, for me, is that when you plant a seed... Uh, you don't really need to think about the outcome, right? You just plant the seed and point the ship in sort of like that direction. And wherever the ship lands or arrives at, 
the journey along the way is a beautiful thing. And if you mm -hmm. happen to to reach there, uh, good. And if not, um, it's a wonderful thing. And I, what what I really think about is you probably have like a hundred of these ships pointed, and this is one of them that landed. And then yeah. there's like 99 that, you know, won't be talked about, but eventually maybe in the next 10 years, we'll see mm -hmm. another three or four of these ships hit the port. And I think mm -hmm. that's like the lesson for me is when I hear about um, such innovation from, from you, this is what I imagine. Like she's probably got a hundred ships pointed at different ports and, you know, some are going to land and some mm -hmm. won't. And when we look back 20 years from now about Maria Tran, we're going to see that, you know, she probably had a thousand of these ships headed somewhere and you know we get to read about 10 to 15 of them in her lifetime and i think that's the important mm. part of, of this journey yeah yeah i think um but i have to admit like it does get chaotic like because it's interesting because for me like how like i don't know about you but i have these moments where sometimes i'm on a high and then so much insight just comes in yeah and you're like your human brain can only take so much and you're like okay I need some breathing space otherwise I'm gonna die of excitement of the crazy because all these little ships right they're like ideas like whenever I'm feeling relaxed I'm feeling good they just come at me and then I, ha I sometimes have to go okay you know what just watch them watch them don't do anything about it because if you do you're gonna put more work on your body as your human self just watch them and watch them start to form little patterns and then after that once you're happy with whatever the pattern you, you know, that you see, then make a decision. But don't rush in and make a decision. In my earlier days, it was that idea, run, idea, run. And I get tired, I get burnt out. Now I'm trying to sort of like go, okay, yeah, idea, just wait, just wait. It's going to happen. It will happen, but just wait for the time because there's other things. And, and I think now realizing that, going on to your 40s and then maybe 50s, 60s, 70s, you want sustainability. You want to That's be right. in a flow. You don't want to always have to be so tense and trying to force things to happen because that's going to damage you um, in your human self. So that's what I'm starting to, you know, learn a little bit more. And, and especially now, man, I think recently, even just looking at what death means, you know, because you know how sometimes we're just, doing things we don't even think about it it's just not a thing right i don't think about it I wake up and go death right but it's there it's inevitable and then now going wow like that's inevitable so that means the time that we have is very special and and we need to find ways to keep on cherishing and whenever it feels like a little bit tense tap into ourselves to release the tension because we need to be in a state to continue the work that we do because we're helping a lot of people to be honest, the world's very tense. The world's full of fear. And we need to be in a state to transmute that and help, you know, shape that into something else. Can you talk about something that you brought up earlier um, before we started um, our podcast? You you spoke about somebody reaching out to you who didn't have who doesn't have a whole lot of time i mean are you at liberty to talk about that and if you're not i understand yeah i think it should be fine um so basically i when i was in australia i did a documentary called warriors which was um interviewing 10 women of martial arts and through that process um you know 
people caught word of me making um, documentaries and films about strong women. And this one particular person um, reached out and said, my daughter's also a strong person and she's got the fighter spirit just like you, Maria. Uh, and, and you know, she's creative. And, and after conversation, uh, hearing the story of, of Maddie, um, who, you know, has a, a very aggressive brain tumour. She has DIPD, which is incurable. And I think there globally there hasn't been a case of anyone who lived more than a certain um, number of years she's surpassed um, miraculously she surpassed um, the time span but then now things are not looking too good but when I connected with her I could just feel her energy and she wants to create and and she, she's telling me about stories she's telling about ideas being a superhero and what she wants to do and I did not see her in her physical self she did not see herself in her physical herself her parents are looking at her going damn <laughs> you know and I was like you know I really want to work with her you know and then there's not no, not going to be a lot of time there's not going to be a lot of time there could be months you know you know when you have a certain if you get diagnosed with DP um, DIPG you get from nine to twelve months right and the tumor it stays it grows it, it can progress but whatever time we have, we can still work with it. So I, you know, on, uh, her and I, we're wanting to work on Zoom together and just to ask her about stories she comes up with. Um, I might even get her to do some video diaries. I'm not even sure the scope of the work that I'm making, but I'm letting it, I'm just letting go to allow someone else to come in to create and I just help facilitate. And I let their energy flow through the work that they want to make. And that's that's at the moment with Maddie, um, you know, it's really exciting because I'm going to be on Zoom with her again. But for me, it's it hasn't been quite easy, you know, because like confronting, working with um, somebody who doesn't have a lot of time because uh, a lot of times we, we live like as if we're immortal. You know, we live like, you know, tomorrow's going to be another day, next year, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. But not everyone has the liberty to have that. But what is amazing is even if they don't have the time, but they still have the, the courage and the energy to create, I look at that and I'm like, so much respect. I look at that and I'm like, I am her student. I'm learning so much from this process of just seeing someone younger who has no fear, has no fear in mortality and still wanting to tell a story of strength. And for me, I'm like, I need to learn how do I let myself go from my ego to be a clear blank slate to help give the tools for her to conduct and make. So once I come back to Sydney, um, we're going to do some claymation, probably going to do some green screen work. Um, I'm calling upon different artists to collaborate, to help join in this mission of her, her little short film and then find ways on how um, we can make this little story also go global because it's never been done before a uh, nine-year-old director co-directing with me to make a film before she she goes that's never been done before it's just yeah yeah thank you for sharing that because um you know i um, on a human perspective you can do all this great work in the last 10-15 years and movies and film and acting but the act of helping or working with maddie to me is it's that's like um because i have a daughter um, that mm -hmm. I can imagine 
how much that would mean to her. Um, so my compassion, my empathy kicks in and I think about how she would be feeling and her father, you know, would be feeling as, as they reach out to somebody like you and you, you, you collaborate with them and, you know, you leave this, um, indelible imprint in their minds, uh, going on into the future after she's gone. And mm -hmm. I think that's a beautiful, it's such a beautiful thing. And I, and I think that's why, like, it's it's hard for people to kind of put me in the box. When I do something like this, people are like, well, where does that fit in with your career? I'm like, why is it like a career is like a dot, 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 like a, a thing that we force? Like, why why can't our trajectory be in the flow of being able to, like, we, we learn a skill. Like, I feel like sometimes we're given uh, opportunities to develop a skill, but that skill could be used for yourself, but then other people can use that skill for something bigger than who you are. And I think that's that's a much more better way to see it. I mean, there, there's certain ways you, you can meander in different fields, but at the end of the day, if you are being who you are to create, I think it's a beautiful thing to, to just keep it simple and not overthink it. I think humans, we overthink it. We plan, we overthink we have so much expectations. We project it on people. It gets bounced around. And then after a while, we're like, you, you just start to not like, you know, the world and, and, and the person you become. But we can do, we can relinquish that. We can let go of that when we start thinking for others. You know, it's a weird thing. You, you, you allow yourself space for others to connect with you, to create. There's a magic in that. Mm. Maria, thank you so much for coming on today and and really sharing all of your thoughts and hanging out here with me on the podcast. Um, I, uh, you know, I on one hand, I I do. Um, it's not that I regret having these feelings in the last year about the way I look at certain people like you, you know, in our community. But on on the other hand, uh, I am blessed to have those feelings and then to be able to recorrect the course and then to share that uh, with the audience. So I want to let you know how much I appreciate you in the media landscape here in um, Los Angeles and being in the future uh, part of our story uh, in the Vietnamese community. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much, Kenneth. It's been a pleasure. I'm I'm just been so blown away having all these really deep conversations with you um, because I'm usually quite, I think I was telling you earlier that I was a bit anxious as well, So, but you've been so facilitative and I feel so much warmth from this. Thank you. And I hope uh, it continues. I hope that, you know, we will see you at film festivals, not only at the Viet Film Festival, but at Sundance, at Tribeca, Toronto, wherever, you know, our paths. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I don't know. Like, oh, it'll happen. like schlocky films, you know, <laughs> it'll, it'll happen. Schlocky or, 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 or not, it, it will happen um, because it's just a matter of time. And I think that if you don't stop, you know, things continue. And I, and I firmly believe that. And I firmly believe that next year or the year after we will have some uh, other occasion to, to come back on the podcast and talk about a project. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Maria. Thank you for listening to the Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. Special thanks to Brittany Tran, to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Crystal Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at the Vietnamese podcast. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. <laughs> 